last year, Pierce, my eight-year-old, told me that there was one thing that he really wanted. And that one thing was a Nerf Rapid Strike CS-18 blaster. Now, he didn't know that it was a Nerf Rapid Strike CS-18 blaster. All he knew is that one of our young adults, Josh Eiler, owned a big Nerf gun that shot a lot of darts quickly, and he wanted one. You know, I thought about it for a while, bringing it with me to show you, and which would have probably forced me to shoot you with it. But the last time I tried that, I shot a visitor in the eye, and it didn't turn out so well. So I, I left his Nerf gun at home. Now, when we talked this through, due to his mother's wisdom and probably Pinterest, Pierce has three jars in his room, one for spending, one for saving, and one for giving. Out of his spending jar, he is allowed to spend. Now, sometimes I'd prefer that he not spend money on what he wants to spend money, but it's his jar to spend out of, and he wanted this Nerf gun, probably to harass his sisters, but we allowed him to buy it. We ordered it on Amazon, and a couple of days later, Pierce finally got his Nerf gun in the mail. He could hardly wait to get this thing out of the box. And by the time he'd he'd loaded all of the darts into its fancy little dart clip, I had finally gotten the Nerf gun out of its packaging. He shoved the clip into the gun, ready to terrorize his sisters. And you know what happened next? Nothing. He pulled the trigger again and again and again, and nothing happened. He wasn't sure what happened. And in fact, it took us a good five minutes to figure out that this particular Nerf gun needed power to run. And specifically, it needed four AAA batteries in order to be effective. Now, if you looked at it, it looked like a perfectly good Nerf gun. But it lacked the power to do anything. And without power, it wasn't able to do what it had been designed to do. Sure, I'm making another rough illustration to equate now batteries to the Holy Spirit, but here we go. This is not far from the condition of the disciples in Acts chapter 1. This is why Acts 2 is such a crucial text. Because Jesus told the disciples who had been fully discipled, who had been fully trained to wait, to hold on, that their experiences weren't enough. Their training wasn't enough. But that the power was coming. And friends, this can be just as true in our own lives. That when we are not filled with the Holy Spirit or living in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to do what we were designed to do. I would remind you of Jesus saying, apart from me, you can do Nothing. This morning, I'm going to lean into Jesus a lot, as we always do, and I'm going to use Jesus' words to grant credibility to the Holy Spirit. Because I think we need to lean into further to get a deeper understanding of the Holy Spirit. We've spent two weeks specifically talking about it. By the way, if that's a topic you're more interested in, I put a handful of books out here, bolstered our church's library on the topic. So there's six of them sitting out here on the table. You're welcome to borrow one if that's a topic you want to delve into this morning. 
Because as we continue on in our book, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's going to come up again and again and again. And as we've walked into this series, we've called it Empowered. And we've called it that because you see the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of people, giving them power. And this morning as we look in Acts chapter 2, we find a text that serves as a fulcrum really for this pair of book, Luke and Acts. We've talked about that, that Luke writes both of these books, Luke and Acts, and this is the high point, the climax. The story builds and builds and builds, and all of a sudden the disciples go out, but it's all predicated on the Holy Spirit. Let's look at some of Jesus' words. Jesus told them in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Lean into that. Jesus says you're advantaged by me leaving and sending you the Spirit. Which is to say that you, sitting where you sit, are in a better spot than the disciples were as they physically, literally walked with Him. Now, this isn't Ben's opinion. This is the Word of God telling you that the Holy Spirit is with you, indwelling you, and you're better off for it. Two chapters before that, Jesus tells His disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. Wait for it. And greater works than these will He do because I'm going to the Father. Again, illustrating for you the work of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus talking. Telling you, literally, that you can do greater things than He did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not Ben's opinion, Word of God. And finally, Acts 1.8, Jesus tells them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. This is what they're waiting for. The Holy Spirit to come and grant them power. To do what they've been designed to do. Friends, Paul in Ephesians 1 prays this for us. We're going to lean into this again in the end, and I want us to know this. Because Paul in Ephesians 1 prays this for us. He says, I want you to know, and he lists three things, this is the third. And what is the immeasurable greatness? That means you cannot contain the greatness. You can't even count how big it is. I want you to know this uncountable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Do you see that? That this power that you have in the Holy Spirit is the same power that took a man who'd been crucified, that had a spear shoved through him by a professional mercenary guaranteeing his death, that the Spirit raised that guy from the dead and then put him at the right hand of God. I mean, that's awesome. 
There is no greater power it's ever existed than that. And do you know where it currently indwells? Oh, friends, the correct answer is me. Say me. Say it louder. With some passion. Yes. The power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. The power to be His witness is at work in us. The power that is a literal advantage to literally walking with Christ is at work in us. And the power to do even greater things than Jesus did is at work in us. Church, do you believe this? Louder? With more passion? Yes! This is God's Word declaring to you. See, it's so easy for us as a people in the 21st century to walk in the love of the Father, to walk in the salvation of the Son, and never sniff the power of the Holy Spirit. That we could just walk around as a group of saved people, never accomplishing anything. Billy Graham says it's less than 5% of Christians will ever actively share their faith with another person. Friends, that can't be said of us. That's like a Nerf gun with no batteries, right? It exists. It sits there. You can testify that it's a Nerf gun, but it won't do what it's supposed to do because it doesn't have the power it needs. Church, do you have the power? Ooh, there we go. A little louder, a little bit more enthusiasm. Three years into this, you're getting trained. This morning we're looking at Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity changes his relationship with humanity in a pretty incredible way. Because instead of being a massive presence to guide an entire nation, the third member of the Trinity takes up residence in the life of the believer. Acts 2 Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now this is talking about the disciples, whether you want to accept this as the 120 that's been discussed or the 12, it kind of makes no difference. Only the size of the house, right? Gathered together, just as Jesus had told them, and they were gathered on the day of Pentecost. Now, one of the things I want you to keep in mind to become a biblically literate person is that when you thumb through the Gospels and or the book of Acts and you come to a time period, it's always mentioned purposefully. There's always a reason why, some significance why it matters. So let's talk about Pentecost for a moment. Pentecost was an annual spring feast that followed Passover by 50 days. Let's be New Testament believers for a minute. Passover, Christ is crucified on Friday. He was raised on Sunday. This is 50 days after that fact. The Jewish people would come together to give an offering to present the first fruits of their wheat harvest as commanded by Exodus 32. God declared that 
Three times a year, all the men, all the Jewish men, should come before him to meet. This is one of those feasts. And if you lived at all reasonably close, and we'll see as we move through this text, the people travel an exceptionally long way to get here, that you were expected to come. Now, I've told you that Pentecost matters, and let me tell you why. I'll give you two reasons. One, because Pentecost is about bringing forth the first crop from the ground to the Lord. This is where God uses a feast as a foreshadowing. For just as you would plant seed and expect a crop to come forth and you would give that crop back to God, Pentecost provides the the right opportunity for the gospel to go out and the first fruits of the gospel to come in. That it's this moment that the church begins and quickly you go from 120 and if we watch the text, it'll go into the thousands really fast. Because the gospel is powerful. And friends, this is where you get the reality of greater works than Jesus, right? We've looked at this 120 number a couple of times. There are 120 people that believed in Jesus gathered together. Now they start talking about Him under the power of the Holy Spirit, and then 120 becomes thousands like whack. And those thousands become more thousands like whack. And the church just begins to grow at this incredible rate. And this is the first fruits forecasted in Exodus that God would bring people to Himself. And Pentecost also provides the right opportunity for the gospel to go out. Remember, this is one of the three feasts that men would gather, all traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate. By the way, this is one of the greatest truths of our faith is we as believers in Jesus Christ don't have a faith that requires us to go somewhere, to worship a thing, which has happened in almost every other world religion. We don't have to go to Mecca. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because in the Holy Spirit, God dwells with us. You can kind of look in the mirror. He's with you. Wherever you go, there He is. You're not required to travel. And so at Pentecost, God is doing these multiple things of bringing people together to produce a crop. He's planting seed and preparing the soil. And in verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. What an incredible and intense scene to experience. A large sound. A mighty wind. I spent a good part of my growing up days in Tulsa, Oklahoma, often called Tornado Alley. You hear stories of tornadoes. You hear people telling of freight trains rolling through. Now living in Moorhead, I know the sound of a train rolling through. I don't know a tornado. Maybe we have them here. I haven't seen one yet. But this is that incredible sound, that incredible noise. 
And Luke doesn't use the word for wind that also means breath. And I think he does it purposefully. Because this isn't the breath of God going forth. To be found in Exodus 34 when God breathes into the dry bones. Friends, this is not God's breath. This is God's presence. And there's a huge difference. God is not breathing on you so as to bless you. God is granting you His actual physical presence in you. Taking up residence. Filling the whole house. And tongues of fire divided and rested on each of them. And again, this isn't fire resting on them as we would find in Abraham experiencing God as a burning pot in Genesis 15 or Moses experiencing God as a flaming bush in Exodus 3 or the Israelites experiencing God as a pillar of fire to lead them. Because now the burning pot, the burning bush, and the pillar of fire is not before you. It is resting on you. And not in you as a community, but you as an individual. And not for a time, but forever. And ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, there's a difference between the filling of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We'll lean more into that as we go, but you will quickly find that by believing in Jesus, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit permanently. It says in Ephesians 1.13 that you are sealed with the Spirit in a way that doesn't leave you. You are marked forever like you're scarred with it in a beautiful, right, holy way. Here... They're filled with the Holy Spirit and it indwells them. We'll talk more about that as we continue through the book of Acts. But they receive power. And of course they did. This text should not surprise us at all. You read through the Old Testament and you find the power being prophesied in the Old Testament in the book of Joel. Your men will dream dreams. They'll have visions. This power is foretold and promised in the New Testament, that this power comes so that they would be His witnesses. And immediately, they are. The text says that they began to speak in other tongues. And if we follow through on the text, you'll find, because friends, there's all kinds of fun speed bumps in this book, that this is not the charismatic version of speaking in tongues. We'll get to that. We'll talk through that in a while. But in this particular case, these tongues, as you work through the book of Acts, become the Holy Spirit prompting men to speak in such a way that many different people understand what is being said in the different languages. Look at the text, 5 and 6. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember, it's Pentecost. Lots of men have come to fill the city. And at this sound, the multitude came together. Let's pause for a second to remind you that Luke was not an eyewitness. 
Now, I point that out to you because Luke was a historian, which means he went out and he found the eyewitnesses. So when he testifies that a sound brought the multitudes together, it's because other people heard the sound of the wind and could give testimony to the sound of the wind. And none of them understood what it meant. That's what Luke is saying here. And they were bewildered. Because each of them heard them speak in his own language. And friends, that is the power of the Holy Spirit at work. It would be like me standing here preaching to you in English, frankly, the only language I speak, and you hearing it in a different language. It would be like the Tulandines hearing me in Russian, or someone else hearing me in Norwegian, or German, or Spanish, or some other language that you took two semesters of in college that you can faintly remember. And you'd go, whoa, I understand that. That's what God did here through the Holy Spirit. Men spoke and people heard it. And they heard it in a variety of languages. Stay in the text, verse 7. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? As if to say they don't know our languages. How would they possibly know how to say this? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes. Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now again, I would stop and tell you how does Luke know all these people here other than he heard the testimonies. And some of these people were pretty specific. Like the guy who says, I'm from Libya, the part belonging to Cyrene. That somehow stuck with him. And he includes that for us. So that we would appreciate all these people hearing in their own tongues men declaring the gospel. And they were amazed. And they were perplexed. Saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, they're filled with new wine. Friends, the gospel will always be mocked. Always. And it's immediately in its first fruits mocked. People start saying they must be drunk. Now, I've been around drunk people before. And in my experience of being around drunk people, not one of them has ever spoken in a language that everyone else understood. In fact, in my experience of being around drunk people, they're speaking a whole different language that nobody understands. They're being mocked, and yet the Spirit is going forth with a power that they don't understand, so they make fun of it. They push back on it. And that still happens. Verse 14, But Peter, standing with eleven, lifted up his voice and addresses them. And next week, we're going to dig into the rest of that in Acts 2 to see what Peter has to say by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be cool. Because when Peter stands up, he is radically different than he is in the Gospels. Why? Because he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he now stands and gives an incredible testimony for Jesus. 
And it's not his experience. And it's not his training. It's the Holy Spirit that's on display. And I want us to see that over and over and over and over again to see that it's the Spirit that works. And I'll take you back to John 16, telling you about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. And when He comes, the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Question. Who is at work? The Holy Spirit. And when He comes, He will convict the world. Is this your job? Can you say it again? It's not your job. Side note, extra note. Please don't make people feel guilty on social media. It's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. All we ever do is look like buffoons when we try to take the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit is at work and He is moving. And we are far more similar to the Nerf Rapid Strike C18, CS18 blaster than we think. Because it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. We're just called to show up and be faithful. And when we show up and are faithful, I believe in this moment the Spirit prompts Peter and Peter pops up. You can only imagine that he's a little anxious and he opens his mouth and, whoo, Holy Spirit. And I think that's what it's like to just step up and to choose faithfulness and to let the Spirit respond and do His work. Friends, as we end this morning, I want you to know and to know that you know that you know and to realize that you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit in the same way that the disciples were given the Holy Spirit. You were given part of it. You weren't given some of it. You didn't get like a three-quarters part of it. You don't have to like wait to get recharged. You've got the Spirit. I went to a church when I was in college for a year and a half, and it was a year and a half in that I heard the pastor stand up and and starts preaching about how when you come to know the Lord, you only get a little bit of the Spirit. It's like getting into the entryway of the spiritual house of God. And then as you follow along, then God opens the door and you receive the rest of the Spirit. And there's even more for you there. And you go, hogwash! Nowhere else in the New Testament do you see a second indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see God going forth, granting His disciples the full Holy Spirit to indwell them permanently. And not partly or insufficiently, but totally and completely. Church, this is why I love the book of Acts. This is why we're here now and in this season. Because the disciples were standing around after His ascension fully believing in Jesus, knowing the full reality of the crucifixion to a degree I can only conceive a little bit of. 
knowing the full reality of His resurrection, and not knowing what to do. And when they receive the Holy Spirit and understand what they have in the Holy Spirit, they go forth with great power. Friends, this should be a great hope to us. That it's not about Ben. And it's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's not Ben's work or Calvary's work or your work. It is the Holy Spirit. And as we walk out of church this morning, I want you to know that you walk in the love of the Father. And I want you to know that you walk in the salvation and the mercy and grace of the Son. And I want you to know that you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in its completeness. And as we continue through the book of Acts, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that could be you on any given Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday or Monday. Because it's the Spirit that's at work and it's in His power. I have a list of things that I pray for us on a regular basis. This is going to be my prayer for us for the next couple of months. That we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. According to the workings of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places which I want us to know the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. Let me pray for us. Great Father, You have loved us so sufficiently and so thoroughly. And in Your great love for us, You provided Your Son whose death bought our salvation, whose life Give us a model and a pattern. And Father, You've loved us and You've granted us salvation through Your Son. But You also sent Your Spirit. And Father, we're not believers who just believe in, a, in the Father and the Son, but we're believers who believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That just as You've loved us and You've saved us, You've left us here with a reason and a purpose and You've given us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to do what we've been designed to do. And that's to bear testimony to who You are and to what You've accomplished on the cross. Father, may we never settle for a faith smaller than that. And may we come to a greater and greater and greater understanding of Your Spirit that we might live in its power and in its authority. And Father, in those occasions when You should call us to be bold, Father, would You give us the courage to stand trusting that You will fill our mouths like You did Stephen. Trusting that You will fill our mouths like You did Peter. Trusting that Your Spirit will be at work convicting the world of sin and beckoning people to Yourself. That's the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. And God, we entrust it fully to You and we make ourselves available into Your hands. 
God, we love you. And we are so, so thankful that you are our Father. And we're so thankful for your Son. And we're so thankful for the Spirit who dwells with us, in us, and gives us power. In the name of Jesus, we pray.